Welcome to the Well Community Jokes. And welcome back to our Seize the 167 series where we're learning to follow Jesus every hour of the week. And uh, we say 167 because a week is 168 hours, but you're already prioritizing one of those hours to attend here, which is great. But now we want to discern how meeting here and gathering together helps transform us and encourage us to live out our faith in the other hours of the week. So originally it was going to be a four to six week sermon series, and I thought I was going to kind of fly over Acts at like a 30,000 foot level. God had other plans, and as I began digging into the book of Acts, I was just hit with how much is in there. Um, Sometimes it's so easy to to read through a passage if you're doing a Bible in a year plan or just daily devotions, and you kind of read it in clips and pieces, and you don't really settle in with the text, and it's kind of in one ear and out the other. But what I've been astounded with again and again as as I've been getting to study this series and really dig into it is just how much depth there really is. And it's actually helping me understand the Old Testament even better. And we're going to see some of that tonight too. But uh, if you haven't been with us tonight, we're in Acts chapter 3. We're going to be looking at verses 12 to 26. And it's kind of a part two. Last week, we looked at Acts chapter 3, verses 1 to 10, where there was a crippled man uh, who was laid daily, day after day, at the beautiful gate of the temple. And uh, he was given the ability to walk. And what's amazing is that Peter and John were just going about their normal life. They were just uh, doing their thing. They were going to church, the temple, on Saturday because that was their Sabbath, and that's what they did for the 3 o'clock prayer meeting. And the Holy Spirit gave them eyes to see this man and to see that while they had nothing to offer, they didn't have money, and they told him, we have nothing to give you, but what we do is in the name of Jesus, stand up and walk. They, they saw him, and they were able to participate in this new thing that the Holy Spirit was doing. But I love that they were just going about their normal life because they didn't actually identify as something new. The first believers, they weren't going out saying, we are Christians. That doesn't come later until they're labeled as Christians. But they were still practicing their Jewish customs, and they were just doing their normal life. But as we'll see throughout Acts, is the movement of God began to evolve, and it it became more of a reformation from within. Kind of like, fast forward all the way to Martin Luther, when you have him kind of creating the, the reformation, which then began the Protestant movement. But Peter and John saw this man for who he was, and they were able, in the authority of Jesus, to say, get up and walk. And suddenly this guy gets up and he walks and he's not just walking, but he's leaping and he's rejoicing and he's praising God because here he is, the beautiful gate, which is that gold gate in the middle there, number 11. He's been placed there day after day. He's always been considered less than, and he hasn't actually been able to go into number nine, which is the court of the women. He hasn't been able to go up to number four, which is the court of the Israelites, which is the men's court. He's always been placed on the outside. Now, he was allowed to kind of be on the the edges of where that Gentile's courtyard is, which is for people who are outside the Israelite tribe but uh, have wanted to follow in the ways of 
of uh, their, their customs and practices. That was their courtyard. But now what I love, what's happening at the end of uh, Acts 3, verse 10, is God is beginning to move to the margins. This movement of God is no longer happening within the temple proper and the Holy of Holies, which is number one. The movement of God now is beginning to go to the margins. It goes to the beautiful gate. This guy's suddenly given access to be able to, to explore and go into the temple that he's never had access to before. But now it's going to Solomon's colonnade or Solomon's porch. And what I love about that is that it's going to the margins of the temple. Just as Jesus told them that, that stay in Jerusalem and wait for the power of my spirit to come upon you, and then you'll go from Jerusalem to Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. That's beginning to happen. And that's kind of where we're picking up tonight, because everyone is kind of left with the question of, how did you do that? Because they're witnessing this miraculous healing. They've seen this guy every day too. And chances are they've given him money or they've given him food. But now they see this guy after years standing up, walking, leaping, and praising God. So the question that comes up is how did you do that? And that's kind of the question that springboards us into Acts chapter 3, starting in verses 12. So I'm going to start reading through it. If you have your Bibles, feel free to follow along, uh, or your Bible apps, but it will also be on the screen behind me. So it starts off by saying, Peter saw his opportunity and addressed the crowd. So this is now in the margins, in the, in the, the Solomon's porch. People of Israel, he said, what is so surprising about this? And why stare at us as though we had made this man walk by our own power or godliness? For it is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of all our ancestors, who has brought glory to his servant Jesus by doing this. This is the same Jesus whom you handed over and rejected before Pilate. Despite Pilate's decision to release him, you rejected this holy righteous one and instead demanded the release of a murderer. Now, that's the crucifixion story where they demand to release Barabbas, who is a murderer, and crucify Jesus. He's calling them out on it. In verse 15, he says, You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. And we are witnesses of this fact. Through faith in the name of Jesus, this man was healed. And you know how crippled he was before. Faith in Jesus' name has healed him before your very eyes. Friends. I realize that what you and your leaders did to Jesus was done in ignorance. But God was fulfilling what all the prophets had foretold about the Messiah, that he must suffer these things. Now repent of your sins and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped away. Then times of refreshment will come from the presence of the Lord, and he will again send you Jesus, your appointed Messiah. For he must remain in heaven until the time for the final restoration of all things, as God promised long ago through his holy prophets. Moses said, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. Listen carefully to everything he tells you. Then Moses said, anyone who will not listen to that prophet will be completely cut off from God's people. Starting with Samuel, every prophet spoke about what is happening today. You are the children of those prophets. And you are included in the covenant God promised to your ancestors. 
For God said to Abraham, through your descendants, all the families on earth will be blessed. When God raised up his servant Jesus, he sent him first to you people of Israel to bless you by turning each of you back from your sinful ways. That was a lot of text. So let me just uh, ask for the, the Spirit's guidance and filling as we navigate some of these uh, verses. Heavenly Father, help me to just fall to the background. Fill me with your Spirit and let your Spirit shine through me. Help communicate to us what's going on in Peter's message here, but more importantly, in your message. I ask this in your name. Amen. So to start off, Peter and John, they weren't claiming to be anyone special. They didn't have a special trick up their sleeve, so to speak. It, it, more importantly, they knew the person who was able to do this. It's kind of like if you've ever had a computer problem or a car problem, and you're like trying to figure it out on your own, kind of clueless, and I'm like, I don't know what's going on here. And then my buddy comes in, and he's like, oh, it's just this. And suddenly I'm like, how'd you do that? He's like, well, I was shown how to do this. It's a simple trick to kind of get it back up and running. I don't look at my buddy as kind of the, the be-all and end-all, but I'm, he knows the right advice. He knows the, the concrete evidence and what's going to make a difference. And I know this is a far stretch from healing a crippled man, but that's essentially what Peter and, and John are trying to say. They're saying, this isn't us. I, I know the person who has the power and is, who is able to heal, but don't look at us. This was Jesus. And now, we have to keep in mind, too, for these first few verses, Peter and John, well, Peter especially, this is him preaching, he lays the smack down, and he lays it down heavy on them. He's saying, you guys killed Jesus. The author of life, your fault. You guys, murderers. You're involved in it. You're guilty. The blood's on your hands. But we have to keep in mind that he's preaching to his family. He's preaching to the fam. And the reason we need to understand this is because sometimes you see street preachers, or we can even get on our high horses sometimes and kind of say, how dare you? this, you're guilty of this, turn back, repent. And we kind of speak from these pedestals. But that's not what Peter's doing. He's actually speaking from this place of understanding and authority. And he, it's like speaking with your family. If you were to go in and call your family on some stuff that they had been doing wrong, they might not want to listen to you, but they probably would at least give you an ear and if I were to go into your family and tell them what's going on, they'd probably be like, get out of here. You're not part of my family. Well, Peter has the authority to kind of go in, and he's working on the inside, and, he, and he's calling them to account. Because there's this identity, there's this nationalism and tribalism within the Israelite tribe. But what he knows is that he can call them on this, and what we're going to see is several of the references he alludes to, they would automatically know. Because they understand the text. Their scriptures is our Old Testament. They don't have the New Testament written yet. They're living it out for us. But 
having grown up in Judaism, the temple, this is the family that he knows well, and they also know him, so then they'll also understand the references that he makes. And this can be difficult nowadays because we don't work off the same kind of tribalism or identity. Now, back in the day, we, we may have when there was more of a Christian culture. Uh, you might see traces of that still down in the U.S. a little bit more, so, but we're definitely shifting into a post-Christian culture, which means it's not, it's not rooted in, in Christian values or morals or on, on Scripture. It's, it, we're moving away from that. So it's tricky to sometimes even navigate how to preach these texts to a group of people coming from different places. Some of you might just be brand new to Jesus and you're exploring it for the first time and you're like, I'm just getting to know who this guy is. And others of you have grown up with it for years. But the context Peter is in is that they understand this. They all have this identity that they're saying, yes, that's who I am. So where this really comes alive is verse 13. Peter says, for it is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now, for us, it'd be easy to just skim over that and not pay much attention to, but right away, they would have known that Peter's referencing the Exodus. Right away, Exodus 3, verse 6, is the moment when God calls Moses at the burning bush and tells him to go back from the desert into Egypt and lead his people out of slavery into freedom. I'm the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. When Moses heard this, he covered his face because he was too afraid to look at God. So as Peter brings up these names, they're instantly connecting the dots to what he's saying. And essentially, in the way that Peter's framing this, he's saying, pay close attention because God's doing it again. And this is something that the early Christians actually did all the time when faced with a question which the answer had something to do with Jesus. Nowadays, we often joke around our, the Sunday school answer is always Jesus. It's like, what's the answer to this? Jesus. Uh, like the, there's the joke where the Sunday school teacher asked, asked the group of kids, what, what's brown and furry all over and carries nuts in its mouth? And the kid's like, I want to say a squirrel, but I think I should say Jesus. The way the early church did it, when they had a, a question and they were faced, the, the answer was to do with Jesus, they would reference the Exodus because that's their identity. That's what's grounding them and kind of forming them and helping them understand who they are as a tribe and as a people. They go back to the Exodus when God spectacularly fulfilled his promise and rescued his people. And N.T. Wright, a New Testament, or actually a, a, just a biblical scholar, writes, again and again, we get the sense that when we look at Jesus and see what happens through his name, it is though like Moses, we are standing by the burning bush, seeing something spectacular which ought to say to us that the creator God, the God of Abraham, is living and active and keeping his promises once again. I love the imagery of that. That when we recognize Jesus for who he is, it's as though we're standing at the burning bush and we're getting this message from God saying, I am up to something new and I'm leading people from a life of slavery, of sin, of bondage, into a life of freedom. 
Which brings me to a very interesting pattern that I've been discovering as I've been studying. And the pattern I've been noticing, it revolves around this word, through. And here at verse 16, it says, through faith in the name of Jesus, this man was healed. And then later on, it says, for God said to Abraham, through your descendants, all the families on earth will be blessed. And it's a pretty interesting pattern because as Peter roots his message in their ancestry, he references Genesis 12. That's the one later on in the passage where God makes a covenant with a promise with Abram, later to be Abraham. And the text is Genesis 12, 2 to 3. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. What's interesting is first God will bless Abraham's family and then in turn they will bless the world. And that's the pattern I've been picking up on, is that it starts with God blessing the people of God, and then the people of God blessing the world. God is saying he's going to put right everything in the world that's gone awry, and he's going to do it through Abraham's family, later called Israel. Now, track with me, because this is a huge promise, but we have to pay careful attention to its content. Because God doesn't promise an easy life, money in the bank, a cottage in Muskoka. If you know Abraham's story, it's anything but a walk in the park. But he and his family function as a conduit, as a means for Yahweh to spread his life-giving, regenerative blessing over every square inch of the earth. He's saying, I will bless you so that you will be a blessing to the world. God promises to bless the world through him, through Israel, through God's chosen people. So Peter now, bringing it back to the New Testament and the sermon we're listening to here in Acts, he's now declaring and showing people, his people, his family, that Jesus is Yahweh in flesh and blood. Jesus is God, and that Jesus is also Israel in flesh and blood. And that it's now through Jesus and through faith in Jesus that God will continue to spread his life-giving regenerative blessing over every square inch of the earth. It's through Jesus and through faith in Jesus that all things are being restored and made new. So what this means for us is that as we place our trust in, in Jesus, Israel's story becomes our story. That's, that's the tie between these two. God promises to Abraham become our promises, and God's faithful to keep them. This is why last week I said it's so important to know the story, because as we're being invited to enter into Israel's story and have it become our own story, we're also being invited into this new story of what God's doing and what God's up to now. And as we better understand our story, understand scripture and who we are and who our identity is and where it went wrong and how Jesus came back to, to rescue us, as we better understand our story, it will help us live in to the new story of what God's doing among us.
So even as we wrestle with our questions of like, yeah, but blank. Like, yeah, but my dad died when I was 10. Where is God faithful in that? Or I was diagnosed with cancer and I'm in and out of the hospital each month. And if God's so faithful, why am I in so much pain? This is where it's important to remember this covenant promise between God and Abraham. And this is what Peter is grounding his whole message on. It's not the promise of an easy life. It's not the promise of health and wealth. The promise is to bless the world through his people. To bless the world through us. He's doing this through Jesus, and he's doing this through us whose faith is in Jesus. So our hope isn't that nothing bad will ever happen to us or that everything that does happen to us is the will of God. Our hope is that no matter what happens to us, Jesus is back from the dead and anything is possible. That's the power of the text and the message that Peter's getting across. And while yes, sometimes things go horribly wrong, the resurrection that we're part of screams, God is bigger than evil and stronger than death. The empty tomb dwarfs every tragedy we ever face with his promise to make all things beautiful in their time. So God's promise isn't a picture-perfect life, but his promise is to bless the world through you. And that's pretty phenomenal as we get to step into this new story and realize that we're conduits of God's grace and faithfulness and love. So then after Peter kind of lays the smack down, though, and calls them to account and saying, this is what you did. You killed the author of life. Then in verse 17, I find it a little humorous that he then switches to friends, friends. He kind of, he's trying to lower kind of the, the scale down. Like after you've screamed at your family a bit, you got their attention. It's like, okay, here, let me explain what's going on. Stay with me. And he says, what you did was done in ignorance, but it's not being held against you. Although it had been predicted, although it had been foretold, your, your eyes just hadn't been open to it. You thought you knew better, but you didn't. You, you thought you knew the story, but you didn't. And I don't know about you, but this takes a weight off my shoulders. Because not only are the Jewish people here extended this grace, but we're all extended the opportunity to receive forgiveness and freedom and refreshment just as much as anyone else. It's not being held against them. Your past doesn't define you. And again, that's where the yeah, buts, yeah, but you don't know what I've done. Your past doesn't define you. Verse 19, he goes on to say, now repent of your sins and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped away. Peter's reminded them of the Exodus, and now he's showing them that God's doing something new, and you can still be part of what God's doing. No matter what you've done in your past, he still wants you and invites you to be part of his plan. And while we're still living in this time between Jesus' first coming and his second coming, when he'll bring final restoration and renewal to all things, it says that we can find this refreshment and this freedom now, today, and in the days of head, uh, ahead. 
in the presence of Jesus. Now, verse 23, he goes on to say, anyone who will not listen to that prophet will be completely cut off from God's people. This isn't a go-to-hell verse. This isn't a, a, a text saying what... We can explore those concepts and nuances another time, but what... Peter's essentially getting at is he's saying, don't be cut off from the new thing God's doing. Don't miss out on the new exodus where God is spectacularly at work. Don't miss out. You're invited. But it requires that you repent and turn to God. It requires more than simply lip service. It requires obedience. And some of you may have seen this making the rounds on Facebook this week. But Justin Bieber did a, an interview. And he's decided to make the decision to repent and turn to God through faith in Jesus and obey him. And I want to show just a minute clip for you from this 20-minute uh, interview. I believed in Jesus, but I never really liked, you know, when it says following Jesus is actually turning away from sin. And so there's no, what, what it talks about in the Bible, it's like there's no obedience. There's no faith without obedience. So it's like I had had faith about like, oh, I believe Jesus died on the cross for me, but I never really implemented it into my life. I never like was like, I'm going to be obedient. Um, so I was like, I wasn't sleeping around. I wasn't doing a lot of stuff. I just was kind of by myself. And how did you, how did you make, who helped you come to that? Because I'm sure there are a lot of, and I don't mean this in a judgmental way, it's just right. humanity and everyone's on their own journey. There are a lot of people who are practicing one belief or another, but as you say, it's different when you, when you say it as opposed to actually acting within its, right. its, 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 its guidelines, which are there right. to give you ultimate focus, right? Yeah. On what's important. So when did you decide to actually move within the guidelines and how did you find yourself away from, yeah, I believe in Jesus, but I'm going to drink or do drugs or sleep around or what, all these other distractions. Right. How did you get out of that world? What was the turning point for you? I think it was my perception of who Jesus really was, you know. Um, I'd had really bad examples of Christians in my life uh, who would say one thing and do another. So they were the, my direct example of who Jesus was. That's why you didn't take it seriously. I didn't take it as seriously because I didn't have good examples. Good role models. They, yeah, and so I think the more I, I really just really looked at the character of who Jesus really was. Did you? I love that line as I really looked at the character of who Jesus was. He goes in to talk about some of the, the examples that had been set before him. But you know what? This isn't about anyone else. Of course, this is a communal thing that we get to gather and be part of. But the relationship between you and Jesus is also just that. It's a relationship between you and Jesus. And rather than just looking at the poor examples, look to the person of who Jesus is. I think Peter would agree. It's about looking to Jesus, at, at who he truly was and who he truly is as God has now raised him back from the dead. And here's the beautiful thing. When our eyes are opened to our ignorance and we can admit it and turn away from the life we've been living and turn toward following the way of Jesus, it's through Jesus that we are made new, that all things are made new. From this crippled man at the beautiful gate, 
through the wickedness of, of Israel, through Justin Bieber and his mishaps, and through my mistakes that I've made this week. All things are being made new. And again, I just find this refreshing because I don't know how ignorant I am of many things. I'm sure there's a lot of things that I've done and I've messed up and I've, I've have resulted in even systemic evil and wickedness. And, but for God to say, you know what? You killed the author of life, but I raised him back from the dead and I'm not going to hold that against you. That's beautiful. That's the beauty of Jesus. That's the message that Peter is proclaiming. The final restoration of all things, which is firmly rooted in the Jewish prophets, is now happening because it's already happened to Jesus himself. You see, he's been fully restored and fully made new. He's been brought back to life. So what God is going to do through the whole of creation, he's done for Jesus in raising him from the dead. But here's the best part. We don't have to wait. When we choose to turn away from the life that we've led, which is repent, which is just turning the other way, a 180, you can experience the refreshment, the renewal, the restoration with the presence of Jesus today. So to bring it full circle, Peter wraps up this message by name dropping. And he's kind of been doing it out through by alluding to different references, but I kind of love this because he roots it in the fulfilled promises of the prophets. He goes for the big names and he references Isaiah. And then he, he name drops Moses, one of the greatest prophets of them all. And then he name drops Samuel, who anointed the first kings of Israel. And then as we've talked about, he name drops Abraham, who's not normally thought of as a prophet, although he's designated one in Genesis 20. But he was given the first and perhaps greatest promise of all. So Peter's claiming more than just a few proof texts here. He's understanding the Old Testament, their scriptures, in this single great story, which was constantly pointing forwards to what God was doing through Abraham and his family, the restoration of all things, the time when everything would be put right at last. And he's saying, he's screaming out, it's happening, it's happening, it's happening in Jesus. What you've witnessed is the power of the resurrection. That's how this guy's walking. It's not me, it's not John, it's Jesus. You want to be part of it? You can be part of it. The resurrection is at the heart of the proclamation of church. That, that's what we continually proclaim, the resurrection of Jesus. That's why our vision is making Jesus known so that lives will be changed and our trans, community transformed. Jesus is the explanation of how and why new life is happening now. And Jesus is making all things new and he's making all things beautiful and what I wanted to do to just kind of wrap up the beauty of what's happening in, in our community here is there's a Gungor song called Beautiful Things. And I just want you to listen to the lyrics and I want you to just reflect on the, the slideshow I've put together of what God's doing in our midst. 
And then after that, uh, Alex will come up and lead us in communion.